Chapter 9 Once again, Hermione found herself in her four-poster bed, thoughts of Professor Snape and Harry weighing heavily on her mind. At least this time, she thought ruefully, she wasn't flat on her back staring up at the canopy. But even that bit of humor wasn't enough to lift her mood. After Harry's revelation of the prophecy, the three of them had sat and talked well into the night, reaffirming and strengthening the bonds between them. She could only hope that the support she and Ron provided for Harry would be enough. There was still a lot of anger within Harry, and while the bleakness in his eyes had lessened during their talk, it hadn't gone away. There was also something about his barely controlled anger that made her uneasy. It wasn't the temper itself, because there was no getting around the fact that Hermione had a temper to match. No, it was something about the quality of the anger, almost an alienness that disturbed her and made her uneasy. But now they knew what Harry faced, and they were preparing to meet it together, as they had all their other trials over the years. Knowing it was prophecy that damned Harry, she almost wished she had stayed in divination class. Almost. Hermione planned to do a little reading on divination and felt sure that she could learn as much, if not more, from her books than Sybil Trelawney could ever teach her, even if the woman had managed to speak a true prophecy. She still had a hard time believing that bit of news that Harry told them. Sybil Trelawney, the wispy-voiced fraud in the tower, had managed to speak a true prophecy. She was the seer that had doomed Harry to this path. If the situation were not so dire, the whole thing would be laughable. Unfortunately, no one was laughing. Pushing thoughts of Harry to the side for a moment, she turned her attention to her other worry, Professor Snape. She wasn't making as much progress with him as she had hoped. She still had not come up with any thoughts on how to combat his poor eating and sleeping habits. Even more worrying was the feeling that time was running out for her. She had never really thought that her snort campaign would last this long. It was now almost the end of the school year. Studying and exams would soon be taking up all of her time. If she was going to be gone for the entire summer, she wanted to leave Professor Snape at least a little better off before she left. While she had originally no plans to carry Snort into her seventh year, she realized that she would continue. But first, she needed a starting point. She'd set Rink to the task of charting exactly what Professor Snape actually ate. As of yet, the little house elf had not returned to her. She just hoped that the elf's desire to help the master of potions was stronger than its desire to harm itself for doing something it thought would anger Professor Snape. Although, considering the professor's legendary temper, she was rather surprised that Rink wasn't permanently covered in bandages. Not that she thought Professor Snape would in fact abuse a house elf, but she wouldn't put it past Rink to hurt himself if he thought Snape was angry at him. Glancing at her watch, she noted the time. A few minutes past eleven. It was well after curfew. It was time. Picking up her wand, she first cast a silencing spell, and then one of the less powerful wards around her curtain and closed bed. Feeling secure, she spread the marauder's map across her bedspread, smoothing out the creases in the old paper. I sw solemnly swear that I am up to no good, she said, while tapping the parchment once with her wand. Like spilled ink, dark lines began spreading across the paper, outlining rooms and hallways and not-so-hidden passageways until the whole of Hogwarts lay before her. Looking to the headmaster's tower, she noted that, once again, the footprints identified as Albus Dumbledore paced back and forth. Seeing those steps every night, she felt a confused mixture of comfort and anxiety. 
She had no doubt that the ongoing shadow war with Voldemort weighed heavily on his mind. Seeing those steps let Hermione know that, regardless of the confident front the headmaster put forth to the world, he was deeply worried. Letting her eyes track across the map, she automatically noted the positions of Filch and Mrs. Norris, Professor McGonagall, and several of the other teachers, until she finally found the name she'd been searching for, Severus Snape. As with the preceding nights that she had done this, Hermione settled down to watch, keeping a firm grip on that impetuous part of her that wanted to sneak out of the tower and follow the professor around in, per in person. She spent the next two hours dividing her time between working on her homework and watching the map. When Hermione finally called it quits and turned in for the night, the professor's footsteps still walked in endless circles through the castle. Snape should have been grading second-year essays. He, also, still needed to get the ingredients out for the first-year class tomorrow. He found himself unable, or perhaps the better word would be unwilling, to attend these requirements of his teaching job. Instead, he rolled two of the sealed vials left with him by Miss Granger between his fingers, watching the contents of each swirl around the insides of the glass. One vial held a finished potion, acceptable, even if its consistency was slightly too thin, and the pale greenish color was just a shade too yellow. Still, it would work for its intended purpose, just not be quite as strong as a perfectly brewed example of rash relief. The other vial held what looked like water after bathing a particularly dirty child. Although, truth be told, he'd seen many examples of this kind of inept potion brewing since he'd first begun teaching. If the little terrors didn't explode or melt their cauldrons, they made worthless slops such as this, he wouldn't even dignify this swill by calling it a potion. Something about that thought caught his attention. Setting down the decent potion, he raised the other up to eye level, studying its contents more closely. Once again, he tilted the vial, but this time he took a moment to identify the chopped ingredients that swirled within. Then he saw what he was looking for. Plantain leaves. The bits of chopped leaves looked uniform, with straight-edged cuts, just as they should, but for the leaves to have never dissolved meant that... Surely not. That couldn't be the case. It was preposterous. He would have noticed something before now. The potions masters before him would have noticed something. And yet... Damn, he was going to have to check it out now. Setting the vial aside, he opened the thick leather-bound book that held his grading. Early in his career, he'd had a few overly ambitious Slytherins attempt to change their grades. The book was now warded to allow only him to open it, and to record grades and notes within. As a magical book, it had the ability to hold several years' worth of information within its slim cover. The current volume held five years' worth of potions classes. If he wished to look back further, he would have to pull his previous grade books. Flipping to the front... Snape began to scan through his grading, reading the notes he'd made on those students who received a daily zero grade for inadequate potions. A gentle rapping against his office door alerted Snape that someone wished entrance. Seeing as how that someone had not just barged in, that ruled out both the headmaster and Minerva. Another teacher would have knocked and then opened the door. Glancing at the clock hanging on the wall, and noting the time, he knew exactly who requested entrance. "'Enter, Miss Granger,' he said, just loud enough to carry across the room and through the door. She entered quickly, and stood before his desk. She made sure his expression didn't show it. 
he was impressed that she appeared calm and composed, her gaze meeting and holding his own as she made her now habitual greeting. Even students that had done nothing wrong were usually nervous and trembling when summoned into his presence. Yet Miss Granger stood calm and relaxed, the only overt sign of any nervousness, the note requesting her presence, delivered to her earlier, clutched tightly in one balled-up fist. The idea that she was seemingly comfortable in his presence was an odd one. Yet another thing to add to the growing list of Hermione Granger mysteries. Seeing that keeping her waiting was not going to discomfort her as it would a normal student, he pointed to the chair behind her. Sit down, Miss Granger. She settled gracefully in the chair, carefully crossing her legs and smoothing down her robes before folding her hands across her lap. It struck him then that perhaps Albus had not been as far off the mark as he supposed. Miss Granger did indeed seem to be settling into her maturity. Even as he lengthened the silence between them, she did not give in to the temptation of fidgeting or speaking out of turn. Abruptly, he leaned forward, placing his elbows on the desktop and bringing his steepled fingers to rest against his lips. He noted the small jump of reaction his movement caused. That was a better reaction, and one he was more familiar with. Her calm wasn't quite as deep as portrayed. That might be... useful. Having enjoyed their last encounter, he decided to open with an attack. Who brewed the samples you gave me, Miss Granger? Brown eyes widened in instant alarm before the girl caught herself. Chin tipped slightly up in defiance now that she knew what this meeting was about. She respectfully denied his request for a name. Unaccountably more amused than angered, he continued the game. It was time to see just how serious Miss Granger really was. Miss Granger, as one of your teachers, I have the right and authority, I might add, to demand that you tell me the name of the person who brewed the sample potions. If you do not, I can dock points for willful disobedience, and consign you to detentions until the end of the year, if I so choose. Snape was rather surprised to feel a sense of dissatisfaction as her stubborn chin dipped down to her chest at his words. He'd really rather hoped that she was made of sterner stuff. It seemed that the puzzle presented by Miss Granger would be solved sooner than he had anticipated. Now, Miss Grain, No, sir, she grimaced slightly. Forgive me for interrupting, but I cannot tell you. Rising anticipation warred with outrage at her disobedience as that chin rose up in the air again, a fraction higher than before. Cannot? Or will not? Miss Granger, he hissed, voice low with menace. Being an intriguing puzzle would only get her so far. Again, that grimace crossed her face. He knew that look, had felt that sentiment himself more times than he could count. It was the look of someone stepping into a trap, knowing all along that the trap was there and primed to snap closed around them, yet having no other recourse but to step forward anyway. Straightening her spine to sit up straight, she once again met his gaze. Will not, sir. I gave my word. She seemed to deflate then, the steel seeping out of her, if not her resolve. You're not stupid, sir. I realize you have to know that I've been helping students outside of class. The potion vials give evidence of that. I freely admit that I'm leading a specialized potion study session. You are the one helping Longbottom. It was a statement and left her no room for denial. Even if she had tried, he would have known. Gryffindors made particularly bad liars. She let out a small sigh. 
I suppose it would be silly to deny it. Yes, I'm helping Neville. Now to spring that trap she'd sensed waiting for her earlier. Yet, Mr. Longbottom is not the brewer of the potions you left for me. In fact, I would hazard a guess as to say that this particular problem has never happened to Mr. Longbottom when brewing a potion. Although I can't say that for every other problem that can arise during potion brewing. He could see the exact moment when she understood what he was saying. She really needed to learn how to control her emotions better. She was easier to read than an open book. You know what caused the problem. He could see her excitement, the eagerness to learn new information. He nodded. I do. Then he stopped. It didn't take her long to figure out why. Realization hit her like a slap in the face. You aren't going to tell me she accused, her voice rising in outrage. He finally let loose the smirk that he'd been holding inside. This was turning out even better than he'd anticipated. Knowing that it annoyed her, he raised one eyebrow. No, I'm not. Why? she sputtered. Oh, yes, definitely better than he'd anticipated. She was actually stuttering she was so irate, and quickly losing her facade of calm and collected. Why? Because, Miss Granger, you have tried for six years to impress upon me that you are in fact intelligent. He picked up two of the vials from his desk, one in each hand. Tipping them slowly, he watched her eyes focus on the contents, one good and one bad. You have the opportunity to finally prove that my assessment of you is wrong. So, I'm going to offer you a challenge. The girl looked back up at him at the word challenge. Yes, you heard me correctly. I'm offering you a challenge. I will give you one week to identify the problem. If you succeed, I'll return the original 75 points that I took from Gryffindor. If you do not succeed, I take another 75 points. For a full 30 seconds, she simply sat and stared at him before she finally said, I've already exhaust exhausted the library sources. That is why I came to you in the first place. He shook his head. There is your first failing. Not all knowledge can be found between the pages of a book. But I'm not a potions master. I don't... Got you, little girl. Ten points from Gryffindor, Miss Granger, for your tone, he snapped. There are no buts. There are no howevers. There are no excepts. You do not need mastery to figure this out. But I... Snape slammed his hand down on the desk, the force of the blow sending several scrolls clattering to the floor. He ignored them, instead rising out of his chair and using his flattened hand as a brace to lean across the desk. "'Are you not listening to me, girl?' he snarled. "'You have all the pieces within your grasp. The answer is in front of you. What you need is the ability to observe and extrapolate a hypothesis from what you see.' You need to learn how to think. A skill, I assure you, very few of your peers possess. Thinking, Miss Granger, is the mark of true intelligence. It is more than the ability to read and remember. Intelligence is about the ability to take what you have read, combine it with your observations, mix in the ability to imagine new possibilities, and come up with a new and unique outcome. So far, Miss Granger, I have only ever seen you perform the first most basic requirement of true intelligence. I do not deny that you have a singular ability to take in what you read and regurgitate it back at will. 
You may take that as a compliment, for with it you are already one step beyond the rest of the lackwits populating this school. But that is as far as you go. You are a one-trick show, Miss Granger, and that is all you will ever be, until you learn the difference between simply being an idiot savant and being truly intelligent. As he sat back down, he noted her stricken expression, and barely resisted the urge to roll his eyes. However, at the last moment, he decided that she did deserve something for her trouble. She was, after all, providing him with more entertainment than he'd had in months. But it wouldn't do to make it too easy on her. A riddle, then, Miss Granger, he said once he settled himself. When is a potion not a potion? There, I have given you the clue to what you seek. Now get out of my office. Do not come back until you have the correct answer. While Professor Snape taunted Miss Granger with knowledge just out of her reach, Miranda Vector frowned at the series of complex cal calculations lined up before her. The long, convoluted equations stretched across the almost floor-to-ceiling blackboards that ran around three sides of her workroom. Several smaller, movable blackboards with their own individual sets of equations stood at odd angles elsewhere in the room. Muttering softly under her breath, she used the sleeve of her robe to erase a set of numbers on the blackboard. As she erased, the pinwheel of intersecting lines that floated in the middle of the room rearranged itself, lines slowly shifting position, some changing their angles, while others winked out of existence, only to reappear in other locations. Satisfied that she'd erased the numbers needed, Miranda took a quick look over her shoulder at the glowing lines. Studying it carefully, she nodded. Yes, that's it. This one will work. Turning back to the board, she consulted a scrap of parchment in her hand before filling in the new numbers. Behind her, the glowing lines once again rearranged themselves with arithmetic precision. Blowing a bit of hair from her eyes, Miranda smiled at her equation in pride. It was a thing of arithmetic beauty, if she did say so herself. Pure, clean, precise, as only numbers could be. Turning around, she eagerly sought the lines. Son of a troll! she exclaimed loudly, slinging her piece of chalk across the room to shatter against the far wall, leaving behind an exploded puff of dust. It was the only wall in the room that did not sport an equation-covered blackboard. The wall instead was marked by small, white cloudbursts of chalk dust, many of them overlapping each other to make oddly pleasing flower shapes, as if the wall were blooming dusty white blossoms. Miranda? Vector looked up from where she was scowling to focus on the headmaster's bemused face. Dumbledore was standing just inside her doorway, and she knew that he had had to have both heard and seen her little display of temper. His next words confirmed her suspicion. I see several more pieces of innocent chalk have sacrificed their lives to the cause. Vector ran her hands up through her short-cropped curls. Innocent my arse, she muttered. Albus raised his shaggy brows in surprise. Oh, don't look at me like that. I'm old enough to swear, and you are certainly old enough to hear it. Trust me, this... As she spoke, she pointed to the map of colored lines, indicating a spot where all of the lines converged. Situation calls for it. Of the dozen or so lines that entered, only a little more than half continued out past that small nexus point. Look at this, Albus. I've tried everything I know to do to get a better picture. I've changed the calculations. 
I've changed the people, the timing, location, everything. As Albus joined her, she raised her wand to touch a shining gold-hued line of light. This is the order. In rapid succession, she tapped the other brightly colored lines. I've broken the equations by both groups and individuals, depending on the data I have. Aurors, Death Eaters, The Order, you, and Harry Potter. There is some overlap in the individuals and groups, as should be expected. But there is not enough to significantly affect the outcome calculations. At least, not with the data I have so far. Hesitating slightly, Vector reached forward to touch another line, this time of oily black. This is he who must not... Say his name, Miranda. Albus interrupted her. Looking a little shocked, Miranda shook her head. I don't... Albus smiled gently at his arithmancy teacher. If you cannot manage Voldemort, then call him Tom Riddle. Miranda shivered at the headmaster's casual use of the name. Snape is right. You're an evil old man. Albus seemed unperturbed by her assessment, simply continuing to smile softly at her, blue eyes twinkling with what could only be described as mischief. Sighing in defeat, she pointed again to the black line hanging in midair. This is... Riddle. From the corner of her eye, she caught Albus's nod of satisfaction. Tracing the line forward, she halted her wand before the nexus point, where all the multicolored lines met black. This will be our final battle. How long? Albus asked, his gentle good humor replaced by a look of weariness. She gave a small shrug. The timing fluctuates too much for me to nail down with any kind of precision. While arithmancy touches divination, without all the numbers, I can only give you projections, theoretical possibilities, and statistical models. I can't give you the future. I suspect that I'm missing a critical piece of data. Once I find the missing key, the fluctuation should stop. Once more, she ran a hand up through her hair in a gesture of frustration. If I had more data, especially on the individuals currently playing a part, and that will continue to play a part, I could do more. Trying to work these equations based on groups rather than individuals creates some rather large divergence factors when I get into the higher numbers. She moved her wand to a line of the color smoke. Your spy, for instance. If you would tell me more of him or her, I might be able to change the equations. Even a name, Albus, would help me refine the arithmetic equations. Albus shook his head. You know I can't do that, Miranda, as much as for my spy's safety as for your own. Miranda sighed in frustration. It was a long-standing argument between the two. Miranda wanted as much information to feed her calculations as possible. But some information the headmaster refused to divulge, the name and movements of a spy being the most important. She was pulled from her musings when Albus raised his own wand and pointed to a small line hanging outside of the main convergence. What is this line here? He was pointing to her other point of frustration. She really should have known that Albus would spot and inquire about her wayward anomaly. Miranda blew out of breath. I don't bloody well know. I can't decide if it's coming from a single equation or if it's being created from a merging of equations. It's small now, but it's been growing. She shrugged slightly. Nothing I do seems to change its course. And what is its course? Miranda flicked her wand, and the silvery line pulsed once before elongating. It grew slowly until it paralleled the smoky line representing the unnamed spy for a short distance. Then silver entwined and eventually completely merged with gray until both met at the nexus point. 
Only the silver line emerged out the other side. You have no idea of whom or what the silver line represents? She could hear the worry in his voice, but there was nothing she could say to alleviate it. I don't have a clue. Albus stroked his hand down the length of his beard as he thought, his eyes never leaving the nexus of lines. The silver line is always present, no matter the calculation. Always, she answered. You know how arithmancy magic is. Magic will follow its own path. Muggle mathematicians have, have it so much easier. I can't imagine adding two and two and always getting four. Miranda shook her head, realizing she was going off on a tangent. Pointing back up to the nexus, she touched the point where silver and gray entered. The silver line always parallels and eventually merges with the gray. Sometimes sooner, sometimes later, but it always does. She then moved her wand to the far right side of the nexus, the point in her diagram that was post-battle with Riddle and his followers. This is the part that changes, sir. Sometimes the line of your spy emerges out the other side. Miranda lowered her wand. But most times, only the silver line emerges. Miranda? Sir? I need to know what is causing the rogue line. Albus raised up his hand, this time without his wand, to trace a gnarled finger gently along the line, pausing momentarily at the nexus point, where the gray line winked out of existence to be replaced only with the silver. Whoever or whatever it is, it is threatening my spy. I cannot allow that. A few moments later, the headmaster exited, leaving Miranda alone again with her numbers. She gazed at the visual representation of her arithmetic calculations, her eyes jumping from line to line until she came back to the gray one representing the elusive spy. Who are you, really? she asked the line. Are you who I suspect, or are you someone else entirely? Let's try a calculation that slants you in a different light and see what happens. Digging one hand into her robe pocket, she pulled forth another piece of chalk as she turned back to her blackboard. When is a potion not a potion? What kind of stupid clue was that? He was deliberately, with malice af afterthought, taunting her. In her more honest moments, Hermione admitted that it was quite masterful taunting at that. Few things could get her as stirred up as the idea that knowledge was intentionally being withheld from her. To know that he had the answer, but he was refusing to share it was just infuriating. Then to dangle the lure of regaining her lost 75 points. The man was just maddening. Urgh! The worst part of all, though, was that he had complimented her in a backhanded, Snape sort of way. A compliment. How long had she wanted that man to give her a compliment? How long had she longed to hear him praise her mind like her other professors? And now that the words had actually come from him, she found they left behind a rather bitter taste. What good was a compliment when even with his words of praise he damned her in the same breath? Hermione? What? she snapped. Is there something wrong? Hermione turned a baleful eye across the dinner table to Harry. Why would you think something's wrong? she asked. Ron and Harry exchanged glances before Harry said, Well, maybe because you just... growled. Nodding his head toward her plate, Ron added, Then there's the fact that you've completely killed your dinner. I don't know what that piece of chicken ever did to you, but I'm sure it's real sorry. I have no idea... Hermione trailed off as she looked down and really looked at the roasted chicken on her plate, 
Dozens of fork stabs pierced the meat. It was mangled to the point where it was hard to even tell that it began as a perfect, elf-prepared chicken breast. Oh, she said faintly. Two days later, she hit the door to the potions classroom hard, sure that she finally had the answer, her momentum and weight making it swing back with a faint thump. It was, even with her full weight behind it, only a fraction of the crack that usually preceded Professor Snape's entrance into that classroom. She didn't care that she was being rude, and that he would probably dock points for both the noise and for not knocking. Opening her mouth, she got out, I have, before an obscure reference she read months before returned to her mind. She halted before her professor, feeling the hot blush of embarrassment suffuse her face. Professor Snape bent slightly over a cauldron, without saying a word, merely raised an eyebrow. Spinning on her heel, she stalked back out of the classroom. She could hear laughter behind her, deep and rich. She was too furious with herself to even be shocked at hearing the stoic professor break down in mirth. He was, after all, laughing at her. Hermione found Professor Snape in one of the southwest corridors. She fell into step beside him, a daring act for any student. Puberty, she said. She was sure she had the answer this time. Professor Snape didn't even slow his steps as he answered, No. At his curt answer, her steps faltered, but she quickly caught back up with him again. But the... Turning his head to look down his long nose at her, his voice held just enough mocking sting to make her flush. Really, Miss Granger, you might actually look at your classmates. Unless you are extremely late bloomers, you should all be beyond puberty. And if it were puberty, wouldn't all of you have had trouble? Do you even use your brains for anything beyond blinking and breathing? Or do you have to keep a running count in your head in order to keep those straight? The outrageousness of that final comment halted her in her tracks, unable to do anything more than stand and stare at his retreating back in disbelief. He was beyond the next turn of the hallway before she roused herself enough to close her mouth. Scowling fiercely at a curious student who eyed her as they passed by, Hermione whirled around and headed off down the corridor in the opposite direction, her student robes swirling out and trailing behind her. While Neville and Colin worked on their potions, Hermione contemplated the blackboard that hung on the wall behind the replica of Professor Snape's desk. Arse planted against the desk edge, arms crossed and scowl firmly in place, Hermione drummed the fingers of one hand continuously against her arm. She'd stared at the board so long that its information felt permanently embedded in her brain. The board had begun with neat, ordered rows of information, student names, the number of years that potions had gone wrong, and when possible, the name of the potion that had gone wrong. The board was no longer neat. Instead, crisscrossing the columns were multiple lines of colored chalk highlighting possible connections. Those lines had been added, erased, and added again, leaving the original column information hard to pick out. The answer was here. Hermione knew it, felt it in the pit of her stomach. But damned if she could see the connection. And tomorrow was the last day of Professor Snape's challenge. Fudge. She didn't mean the Minister of Magic. Turning slightly, she spoke over her shoulder. Colin, are you sure you've given me everything? Colin looked up at the question, but didn't stop his constant stirring. That's everything, Professor Granger Snape. 
I talked to as many people as I could in Gryffindor, Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, just like you asked. I even tried to talk to some of the younger Slytherins, but, well, you know, they just stuck their noses in the air and refused to talk to a mudblood like me, he said, his voice twisting on the hated slur. Even before Hermione could say something, Neville spoke up from where he was adding dice slugs to his potion. Don't let them get to you, Colin. We don't all believe in the pure-blood dogma they spout. Colin flashed a grin in Neville's direction. His own natural good humor quickly reasserted itself. Thanks, Neville. Neither boy noticed Hermione as she slowly straightened up from her slouch position. Both, however, took note when she screamed. You have got to be kidding me! Hermione, everything okay? Colin asked. I'm fine, she ran her fingers up through her hair, tousling the spell-blackened curls into a wild halo. No, she amended. I take that back. I am not fine. This doesn't make any sense. It didn't affect me. And Harry's not... But he was... Oh. When is a potion not a potion? When it's not a potion! My God, it makes perfect sense now! Spinning around, she grabbed her notes from the top of the desk and took off toward the door, muttering under her breath. The two young men were left to stare at one another. Finally, Colin asked, How far do you think she'll get before she realizes that she's still dressed as Professor Snape? <laughs>